Hello my sweet friends, it's me Adam and I'm back with another cool episode with a bloke called Kyle Leishman. It was actually by the skin of my teeth that I managed to get hold of Kyle. I was in a bit of a, I was in a bit of a jam, I was in a, in a podcast drought and he came and he came through for me last minute which is awesome and one of the things that I love one of the things I love having a podcast aside from having random conversations is I get a space and um, environment where I can actually have a conversation in a normal situation in life I don't think I'd have the opportunity to do that a lot of what I try to talk about is removing doubt and fear about life because I want to expose all the beautiful things I've spoken about and discovered and I want to share that with the rest of the world and I want to use it to combat all the seeds of fear that are set by the naysayers and the Luddites who say that we are not all one. We can explain all this stuff in a material and mechanical way, which doesn't lead to a oneness for mankind. One thing that would happen if we did all suddenly stop using our phones is the world would no longer be the perfect environment producing the perfect state of mind for power structures to stay dominant. If we didn't have our phones, how much power would they really possess over us? Probably not a lot. The phones being in our hands, part of who we are now, is the perfect catheter. Is that what... is Is a catheter the technology used to in... I think it's used... The phone is like a catheter or something. Like, is that? I hope I've got that right. I believe a catheter is a medical device used to quickly insert medicine into the body, like intravenously. It's like an airport or something. That's not an airport. (laughs) It's not an airport. Just stick to catheter. (laughs) And of course, the natural progression onto that is VR and AR, virtual reality, and augmented reality i don't really know what the difference is but i know this moving to meta is a a step in that direction and that's the craziest thing about technology like it's it's totally surplus to what it's actually facilitating because what it's facilitating is a state of mind we've attached the idea of like peace happiness and home to but that's not a good fit for like who most of us really are I mean, so I don't know why people come to get help with phone addiction. Like, they're obviously receiving a high amount of dopamine hits, like, per day with this little dopamine-producing device that is handheld. And and that's the funny thing about technology. So people come to today's guest in order to get help with phone addiction. They could be addicted to their phone and they're on it from, like, 12 hours a day. You know, like some people have such a serious problem with their phone, like they have a like a physical, actual addiction to it. And it's funny that there are people out there suffering with that because it's in a way there's like a natural built in protection system to being a human being. Like somehow we know when something's bad for us, like if we just start getting crazy and drinking shit loads of booze, then eventually you're going to become such a stumbling disgusting wreck that 
people will notice that oh you know what something's wrong with that guy like maybe we should get him into AA let's sort him out he needs help quick same thing with um, being addicted to your phone like your eyes will start hurting like your sleep's going to get interrupted and all of a sudden you feel like even though you keep using this device it's producing hit after hit of dopamine like quick little fixes of dopamine and you're getting hooked on that but then hang on a minute why do you keep experiencing so much fun but then the second that you're not using the phone and you have to put the phone down boom you feel awful that's called addiction because you keep going back to something which is apparently very pleasurable even if it's short-lived and you're still smart enough to realize it's short-lived but yet you keep going back because you just need the hit i feel sad that people have to get help with stuff like this and people that are suffering with that should know that there's a much more beautiful road and there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and uh stay strong and keep away from your phone if you feel like it's fucking up your life because as things just get more advanced especially with this metaverse situation you know this is just foreplay really this is just mere preparation for the main event the climactic merging of your consciousness with a whole new type of self and what is that type of self is it a new thing is it something else i don't know it's a different environment it's it's one thing that isn't just exclusively vr or the metaverse or something like that that's the craziest thing about technology is that it's actually totally surplus to what it's apparently facilitating because what it's facilitating is a state of mind we've attached ourselves to like the idea of peace happiness or home but that's not a good fit for who you really are you are actually the framework if a phone or uh, some virtual reality or augmented reality produces a framework a, pl- a different place for you to exist and that's not something you just hop into neither is the state of awareness or the state of um, discovery or the state of creativity or the state of meditating it's not just something you experience you're actually the meta itself you are the space you are the time you are the dimensions you are the feelings you are the flow the energy the form everything you're not just a component or a visitor to it you are it you are the dimension you're all of it you're actually a tiny little piece of all of space and time and everything that has been experienced yourself did you get it but do not fear my friends because there are fun times ahead all right guys i'm rambling a bit i just want to keep these intros short and sweet so without further ado here is my cool conversation with kyle and i hope you guys can extrapolate out of it something useful that will prevent us all from becoming technology junkies see you guys What um what microphone are you using there, Kyle? Oh, it is just a, a webcam with a, a decent little microphone. Mm. You know, I've been doing this a little while and um you wouldn't believe it, one of the best microphones I've seen someone use was one of those headset built in, you know, the ones that people use in call centers and stuff like that. 
and she it, this lady had the headset and the microphone all built into one headset and it still baffles me that that produced the best audio quality yeah that i i have a headset but for some odd reason it's not connecting to my computer it's not playing well today okay no problem at all shall we um shall we shall we jump right into it Kyle do you mind sure is that okay yeah good cool 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 I like it I like the attitude guys so um welcome to the show um and today's guest is Kyle he's a life coach um we haven't met each other we don't know each other we've just sort of bumped into each other on the interweb um so Kyle is it all right for you to just sort of introduce introduce yourself to us and talk about a little bit like what you do yeah absolutely um as adam said i'm a i'm a life coach i specialize in helping people create better habits on their phone um whether that be you know people that are on their phone six to ten hours a day um when they come to work with me by the end of my program usually we're we're down to 20 at 20 minutes to an hour per day um Damn. So that is that is what I do. I help people get their time back, and then we explore what else we can do with that time. Um, th- then now we have all this, this excess time and energy that we were spending on our phones, but let's put it to something else. I like that, like reclaiming it, sort of thing. Kyle, like just in case, like because obviously I've heard the term life coach, like. And even, you know, just the two words, life and coach, it's, it is self-explanatory, but it seems like it's the sort of job or it's the sort of thing that someone does, which is almost imaginary to me. Like, I've never come across people that really do it. Um, so I'm fascinated. It's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show, because I love the idea that you've chosen a path of servitude almost and, and like to and self-improvement, even though you're the one teaching others that they can self-improve themselves. But how did you get into it? Like how, how does one become, you sound young, man. You sound really young. Like how do you become, how do you become a life coach? Oh, thanks man. Um, so my personal story of, of getting into coaching, um, I was doing yoga one day, just, just hanging out and I had this thought pop into my head. And, um, you know, that thought was, you should be a life coach. And I was like, what in the world is a life coach? What is that? Like, I've heard the term before, but I don't know what they do. Um, Mm. let's just say I listened to my intuition when, when those kind of things pop into my head. And two weeks later I was enrolled in school and here we are today. So you, so where, what's the school? Like, is there a, is there a school of life coaches school in life coaches? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Um, there, there's quite a few that are, uh, online. Um, mm-hmm. the one I went to, it's a six month course, 20 to 40 hours a week. Um, and they teach you oh. step by step how to talk to people, how to help people change habits. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm already passionate about that. So it was it was just an ideal fit for me that the timing in my life, it couldn't have been better worked out. And here I am. Lovely. Um, when we first connected, we, we sort of said that it might be an ideal fit. Um, what we're trying to do on this podcast, um, with what you do in your day to day, which, uh, 
is you're obviously trying to help people, improve people, reclaim that time or bad habits they're not doing well, and then um, re-engineer that into something that's more positive for them, feel like they have more control over their life maybe. So what we try and do on this podcast is um, explore different areas, which is also surrounded around betterment, I would say, like it's very much around uh, well-being and like holistic wellness in general. And we exp- we've explored like different areas and stuff like we've explored things from like philosophy and mysticism, religion, spirituality, stuff like that. You've mentioned yoga already, you know, that's something else we can talk about, I'm sure. Um, but help like teaching someone to help themselves. It's like you can feed a man or you can teach him how to fish and he'll feed himself forever type thing. I don't know where to start. Like, honestly, I've, I've got so many questions and I don't know where, like how to attack this first because I've never had the opportunity to teach. I guess one, I guess one angle I guess we could start with would be the mental health side of things because it, it's such a big, broad thing. Like the more and more I sort of get into this and, ex, and explore the internet and talk to people and watch this podcast grow, like it seems to be something that people love talking about and hearing about, especially this day and age. Like, it's not a taboo to talk about it anymore. It's like, you know, granddad's suffering, I'm suffering, your brother's suffering, your kid might be suffering. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't, there's no there's no taboo around it anymore. There's no stigma around it anymore. So how, why don't we start with that? Like how many of your clients come to you with issues like that? And what sort of tools and what kind of arsenal do you possess at the moment to attack things like that? Yeah, mental health is a huge part of, of what I do. Um, there's kind of a, a a sliding scale, uh, if you go there with me, that's a, you've got your therapists on one end of the scale. Um, they focus on big T trauma, you know, they focus on abuse, they focus on um, depression, they focus on helping people figure out where that comes from um, and getting over that. The difference between a therapist and a life coach is the life coach is someone who doesn't deal in all that deep with your trauma. You know, I might go back into your childhood a little bit and say, you know, did you grow up in a a home where depression existed? And a lot of people did. Um, But for the most part, the people who, who come to see me, they do have a bit of a struggle with, with mental health. Um, not so much in depression, but in self-loathing. They, they grew up on the internet. They grew up on Instagram and Mm. without even realizing it, they've compared themselves to every single person that they clip, that they scroll past. Um, Mm. so, you know, you're following all these celebrities, you're following, I, I don't know. Um, but for, for instance, for me personally, um, I'm in my mid twenties and if I hopped on Instagram right now, I could find a guy my age that has a private jet that is flying all over the world. That's making millions and millions of dollars a year. Yeah. If I start comparing myself to him, man, I feel like a piece of crap. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that, that's probably one of the biggest things in the mental health side of things that, that I help people understand how incredible they are and how incredible the things they are doing are, you know, (laughs) 
I talk to a lot of parents who, who are just overwhelmed because they have, you know, a baby and a toddler and a three or five year old. And they're just like, I need to get off my phone, but I can't, I can't face what's on the other side of that door. And that's completely fair. You know, you're maybe a single parent working a full-time job. You come home to three kids. I would want to, I would want an out also. And a lot of people's out is their phone. Um, Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that your phone can tell you. Um, Yeah. For instance, that, that single parent um, scenario we were talking about a minute ago. That single Mm. parent comes home from work, wants to go talk to their kids. They really want to be a good parent, but they're just out of energy and they can't. Mm. And they get heartbroken about it because they can't be the parent that they need to and want to be for their own kids. And so the mental exercise starts happening of, oh, I'm not a good enough mom. I'm not a good enough dad. I'm not a good enough X, Y, Z because I don't have the energy for my kids, my spouse, my family, my work, any number of those things. So that's kind of the area where I stay in. Um, I don't dig into your past. I don't dig into trauma. We just Mm. kind of start from where you're at and say, look, this is where you're at right now. Now let's move forward. Yeah. Um, So moving forward, some of the tools that you you asked about a little earlier. Some of those tools that I implement, um, there's a lot of mindfulness involved in, in what I do. And mindfulness, for those anybody who's listening that, that isn't quite sure of the term, um, it's paying attention to why you're doing what you're doing. Paying attention to what you like about the things you're doing. Paying attention to what you don't like about the things you're doing. So one of the first mm. things that, that I, nice. I have... I have people do is just anytime they're on their phone, just a mental check, you know, why am I on my phone right now? What, what am I getting out of this? I'm getting something out of it, whether it's positive or negative. What is that thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's the nice, I like the way you talk about mindfulness there because you know, all too often, like when we, mention mindfulness or we think about mindfulness like sometimes we just stop at the point where we say you have to be mindful of what you're doing so you know to be mindful is almost almost a sort of connotation to it where you just have to step outside yourself and observe yourself like but i like what you added on to the end of what you just said there which was not only do you have to see not, not you have to check in with yourself what are you doing but why like What's the reason behind it? Like, why? I feel like that's where that the deconstruction happens of a bad habit, or perhaps the construction happens of a better habit. When you that's actually true. ask yourself why, yeah. So, but yeah, you're right with the like. It's funny, you know, to to ask a a man who's dedicated his his professional career to helping others and coaching people in their actual lives. Like, the most important thing we've all got is our actual lives. It's the only thing that we've got. Like. You know, one of the first things you talk about, you know, was social media, um, our habits online and comparing stuff. Like, it's it's quite sad. Like, it's quite sad to me. Um, like me personally, I have I have quite a, a distaste for it. Like, 
I've never engaged with it. I don't like it. I used to use Twitter quite a lot. And people that use Twitter, Twitter is for Twitter people, you know, Twitter humor is for Twitter people. <laughs> I was always alienated from Instagram and stuff because I just didn't, I was too late on it, you know. So I would sort of go, it's funny when you said the comparison things, I would, obviously I would drop into it and see every single person from school and the algorithm so powerful and all knowing that it knows who my schoolmates were somehow. But you know, I would resist. I wouldn't start using it and stuff. And I would stick to my Twitter. I liked Twitter because I could use it as like a sort of diary and a sort of history of my thoughts or whatever. Um, but I feel the, the comparison, like the weight is so heavy on there. I don't think I could personally handle it. Like I tried TikTok even like for, I think 20 minutes I was stuck on there. Like again, like I'm, I'm past that point where I want to use social media, but Man, I feel I can feel the the magnetism of it. You know what I mean. But what do you think it says about? I mean, to take like think about this in a different way. Like when you think about your career, like what you're doing and stuff. On a, I, do you do this day to day? Is it a day to day thing for you? Um, yeah, actually, I've I've turned it into a a career path where I can live on the road um, and go do other things that I like to do. So day to day for me is is very different than a lot of people. Um, I'm not chasing a paycheck. I'm not chasing anything like that. I'm chasing what makes me happy. Um, so currently I'm actually, um, coaching is, is my full-time deal. Um, but on the side, a few days a week, I have the opportunity to be up in the mountains driving snowcats at a backcountry ski resort, um, and get to go skiing every so often. Um, but that's kind of been my philosophy on life is chase the chase yeah. what makes me happy. So I love that man. Like that's actually what I'm doing with this podcast. Like, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but like, I feel so comfortable now doing it where there's like hard work required in the past. I don't know. It all just felt like a bit of an uphill. There's always an uphill battle and time was always running out and, you know, even if I managed to have a quote unquote successful day where I'd managed to do the work, do the exercising, spend time with the kids and get to bed at a reasonable time. Like, I don't know, man, it's just at the end of that, you'd still feel a kind of like, Ugh, do you know what I mean? Like, like this, there was still something, but with this, because it's a passion, because it's something that I want to pursue. It's like the, the gradient of the hill that I'm trying to work up is just lowered like so much or, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I worked in a cheese factory for five years um, to to pay for flight school. Turns out I didn't want to be a pilot. Um, but that was one of those <laughs> jobs that uh, I would go to work every day and come home and just absolutely not hate myself for it, but I could I could see what it was doing to me of this that non-passion watching cheese go yeah. down the line for 12 hours overnight. <laughs> oh, I just like, um, I, I need to, I need to just like pause it a second because I think yeah, you, yeah. no, you definitely just said the best sentence we've had on the entire podcast, which was, I was sick of cheese. I was sick of working at a cheese factory because I didn't want to be a pilot. I mean, you couldn't create this, you couldn't make this sentence up. My life has been so weird. I'm just gonna, uh, my life is not normal. I'm very, very grateful for it. But yeah, I, yeah. I I worked hard so I could go to flight school and the cheese factory was the only way I could make that financially <laughs> feasible. And uh, 
it for five years it killed me and um it, it turned into i get to do what makes me happy that was probably the place that i realized that i didn't want to do something that made me unhappy for the rest of my life um, yeah. and i do love flying i got all the way through flight school and that was kind of the, the point where i decided that oh man i don't know if i want to i do love flying but i don't know if i want to go sit in a cockpit all day, mm. every day for the next 40 years. I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if I'll like it. So, yeah. So like, I'm sure like one of the other things that you probably help people with is stress. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it's such a broad question, but where is stress located? Because I know I've heard you describe it as a mindset, like stress is a mindset, but then, I feel like I'm at a point now with my CBD use. I'm sure you're aware of CBD or American. Like that I've sort of, I'm using it as a tool to exercise, if that's the right word, actual stress out of my body. I feel it leaving my body. Like, and if I've had a more stressful week, the yoga session seems more intense and the uh, meditation sometimes can be a bit more um, upsetting. Sometimes some meditation sessions are a little bit more traumatic and upsetting because I don't know what's going on up there, but something's going on up there when you disengage from the world and try to just focus on the present, something happens and sometimes you get sad. But yeah, so stress seems to be like this thing that just morphs and like it's mutates in like, obviously, you know, you say stress, you're probably thinking of someone that's, you know, looks tired and they're pulling their hair out and they're you know, they're going through life and they're just not balanced or whatever, but does it reside? Like, does it reside in the body? Does it, is it a traumatic thing? Like, could we, could we speak about that a little bit? Absolutely. Stress is one of those things that's, that's really, really cool. Um, and I like that you said, you know, where does, where does the stress? And that's, it's different for every single person. Um, uh, a good meditation that I like to do with some of my clients, just depending on the situation you know, is it's called woundology. Um, and this is basically just a quick meditation. You start breathing and you think about what's causing you stress right now. And you just breathe. Um, you breathe about 30 seconds. And then I ask you to put the, put your hand on the part of your body that's feeling that stress. Um, so for instance, a lot of people, you know, have some lower back pain. (laughs) The next question I would ask them is what are you carrying that you don't need to carry? Some people have had throat pain. Mm. What do you need to say that you're not saying? Uh, shoulder pain is another one that, what are you lifting that's too heavy for you? And that's a really good direction to follow the stress. Um, if you listen to your body, your feet, you know, are you running too fast? Your knees, yeah. are you are you bending them? Are you using them too much? But just listening to your body is a really good way to figure out where the stress is. And once you know where the stress is, you can figure out what's causing the stress and really try to get to the root of the problem. Wow. Um, that's a lot. That's a yeah, lot what yeah. you just said. So that's a lot. Um it's like a, it, it's almost like a backup 
system for survival or like some sort of species survival tool because it's so easy like i don't know like the, the the language around stress is getting stressed out or you look stressed or please don't stress me or this is stressful but you know when someone says this is stressful they're certainly not pointing to their lower back you know but <laughs> no, like what you, just, what you just but what but what we've just said like is it's definitely something like i can re- i can relate to like and i feel so stupid that i've only figured this out in like my early 30s like i wish i knew this stuff like before i don't know like maybe i had to maybe i had to push the boundary of stress before i could uh, identify it as a problem that needed addressing i don't know but now i've got a new way to work with stress man it just it's it changes the game like it changes the game like it's first of all it's just like so warming to know that you can like fix yourself first of all you know because a lot of i think there's a lot of people that will allow that stress to build up and they're not even they don't even realize that they're in their beat that they're stressed and forget the idea that they're actually storing it in their body like they're storing it in their body. do you know what i mean yeah I um there's a, a wonderful book called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and it is a, I believe he's a psychologist that uh, wrote this book about where where and how the stress is stored in your body and the traumas. Um, they, they studied World War II veterans and studied PTSD and, and how, that, how that affected and where it was in the body. Um, Really, really great read. If any of your listeners are looking for a suggestion, oh, great, great. What is the again? Forgive, forgive this novice question. I'm sorry. Like, I should be probably asking you better questions. But what is post-traumatic stress disorder? Like, in a nutshell, what is that? Like, what's going on with that? Um, post-traumatic stress disorder. I I know a bit about it. I'm probably not the expert you should be talking to. Um, but from my limited understanding of PTSD, um, any traumatic event can cement itself into your body somewhere. And that traumatic event will resurface depending on what, what triggers it. So for a lot of veterans, um, you know, they had a gunfire and bombs going off fireworks are a huge stress or a huge trigger for for those people who were in war so anytime they go to a fireworks show they get flashbacks Mm. of being shot at or flashbacks of shooting at people um and Mm. those flashbacks are like you're seeing it right in front of your eyes um some other types of ptsd that i've i've heard about um are around trauma when you're a child, around abuse oh God, yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, and some people, human touch can be a trigger for that trauma to come back up. Um, and so that makes it really Whoa. hard to have a human relationship with someone because you don't trust them enough that they're not going to do the same thing. They're not going to abuse you in that same way, basically. Like to say that trust, say for example, say say with a, a romantic relationship, like we're always looking for universals. Like it's fair to say that trust is the most important thing. Like you you can't break somebody's trust. If you break somebody's trust, it takes seconds to destroy it, but it took decades to build it up. 
So do you think that it's diff- different values for different people, like in terms of what will break someone is almost um, like it wasn't volitional of people. Like they didn't actually choose what is the most uh, important quality to them. But like, for example, say that person, for example, who had a trauma in their childhood and the touch is what triggers them. Like how, how, how someone's supposed to overcome that? Like, um, that one is beyond the scope of what I do for sure. Um, okay. Those traumas, um, I, I get too emotionally invested in those kinds of things, which is um, one reason I'm definitely not a therapist is because I haven't learned how to cope with, with somebody else's traumas. Um, I figured out my own, but <laughs> somebody yeah. else's are a little bit outside of frankly, what I want to do and what I can do. Um, so yeah, when we start talking, no interest. yeah, post-traumatic stress mm. disorder, anytime the word trauma is used, most of the time I'm going to say, okay, you probably should be talking to a therapist while you're talking to me just to make sure that you, we can work through whatever you need to work through. Yeah, it sounds... Um similar to the, the the disclaimer around psychedelics like you know the psychedelics are thrown around and you know there's obviously recreational use but there's there's such a sort of wide popularity with them now um but the wise people among us would obviously put that disclaimer in there same as what you just said like until you've gone to a therapist and um sorted your quote-unquote shit out um don't don't play with them um so yeah, it's, 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 it reminds me of that sort of thing. Um, so, so someone's gone to the therapist, they've dealt with their trauma, they've healed themselves, so to speak, or at least identified their triggers. I get, I've heard people speak about it like that, like, oh, I know I have a trigger because when I was younger, my my mum was hitting my dad or my dad was hitting my mum or whatever, and I, I hid, and the brain does that self-defense mechanism thing, that protection thing where it sort of blocks and deletes things in order to protect you. It's like a survival mechanism, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and you're right. It definitely is a more like traumatic and disturbing thing to have to think about, like for each and every one of us, I'm sure. Um, but if someone has cleared that, like, and they've, they've done their work, I've heard people describe it as work actually, like in prisons, I think they call it the work you've done your work, you know, like you've demarked yourself from childhood, you're now an adult, you're actualized, you're an actual adult now, you can function in the world. And it is like a rebirth when you realize, oh, hang on a minute, like I wasn't even firing on all cylinders. I was, I was, I've been stuck in third gear mentally for 20 years. Like that's some wake up shit, man. Like that's like, okay, now my life starts, you know? Um, But someone does that, like they get through that, they do that. And honestly, the more I talk about it, Kyle, like I always question in my own head, like, have I done that work or not? You know, sometimes I think I have, sometimes I think I haven't. But your side of stuff is almost, it's a bit more, it's a bit more of a light touch, you could say, like with this phone addiction stuff, how do you, how do you get someone down to that sort of, was it two hours you said, 10 minutes to two hours potentially a day? Like how, 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 like if you don't mind sharing your, (laughs) your skills. That is one thing that coaches are great at is telling you how to do something. Um, 
a lot of the tools that I use, um, I'm not a rip the bandaid off kind of a guy. Um, I'll talk about kind of my two week digital detox program for a minute. Um, and just give you a quick overview of all the different hows that we have in that program. Um, so we start off very, very easy. Um, the best way to, to make a new habit is figure out what habit you want to get rid of and replace it. So you're taking your, your not so good habits and making them better. Um, so for instance, day one is kind of an intro day in this program. It is just, you know, how's it going? Where are we at? Are we like 10 hours a day? Or are we like six hours a day? Um, just you know, the worldwide average is about three hours and 15 minutes a day. That's a part-time job wow. every day you spend on your phone. So having people kind of realize, okay, there's room here. We can, we can grow. Day one, the smallest little thing is what creates the biggest impact. Day one is don't take your phone into the bathroom. Oh, Simple as that. Simple that as that. Weird human ritual, shitting on the yep. phone. Yeah. The fuck so that, that come from? I don't know, but that is, I have found one of the biggest things that helps people start to, to turn that wheel around and say, oh, okay, if I don't need my phone in the bathroom, where else don't I need my phone? And it's not asking a lot from somebody. You know, you're in there for five minutes at most, hopefully. If you're in there for longer, you might want to go see somebody about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you're in there for five minutes, you know. Can you live without your phone for five minutes? And this is a not keep your phone in your pocket. This is take your phone out of your pocket, put it outside the bathroom, do your business, come back out, carry on with your day. Yeah. Um, so that's the first big how do I do this? Um, a few other ones that I'll touch on, um, we do what's called a mindfulness walk. Um, so what I say is, you know, pick a color, pick a smell, pick a, pick something, one of your senses, uh, go touch something. Um, and I want you to go on a walk and just focus on that one thing. A lot of people will pick colors. Um, a lot of people mm -hmm. will pick a certain kind of tree. Um, and then when you come back from the walk, there's a, a nice little worksheet ready for you to kind of fill out and coming back for your mindfulness walk. You know, the questions are what, what did the air smell like? Was there a breeze? Was, you know, the bakery making some bread down the road? Um, was the sun up? Was the sun down? Did you pass anyone? Um, and so this list of things is to kind of train your brain how to recognize what it's doing. So taking it off of autopilot and mm. putting your own brain back in control of your life. So every time you go on that walk after that, you have these questions in your mind of, you know, what's the sun like today? Is there any flowers? Um, can yeah. we stop and smell the roses? Am I in a rush? Is there another pressure outside of me telling me I need to hurry on this walk? Can I take my time? Um, yeah. Do my feet feel good? Does my body feel good? Am I breathing heavy? Should I be breathing heavy? I'm just walking, right? Yeah. Um, so there's so many things that you can pick to listen to while you're out on one of these mindfulness walks. And they're only 5-10 minutes. Um, it's not a huge thing that I ask you to do. Just, hey, go for a walk today. Um, just by yourself and enjoy it. 
So what's your is your is is business good like is it like is your clientele quite broad like different age groups different types of people and stuff Um the majority of my clientele are under the age of 40 and I have a theory about that and my theory on that is people under 40 35 40 in that range we were never taught how to use our phones it was oh a thing God. that yeah. it grew up with us, you know. It was like our mm. brother, or sister, you know. Our phone is it just grew up with us and grew alongside of us. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we had dial-up internet, and it was you know. I remember my sister got a flip phone, and we were texting with T nine, and thought it was the coolest thing. Oh um, God, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I grew up, and my phone grew with me. I remember when the iPhone came out and the iPod, I, you know, iPod touch. Oh my goodness. That was incredible. And these things grew up with us, but nobody Mm. taught us how to use them because nobody knew how to use them. So most of my clients are in that group of people that are just like me who they weren't taught how to use their phone. They weren't taught what an awesome tool it can be, but also Mm. what an addicting habit it can turn into. I think, Kyle, I think I think it might be the most addictive thing in the history of humankind. I agree, hundred percent. And they are rectangular pieces of joy, man. Like we hold, it's like we hold the world in our pocket. You know, like it's it's just it's it's everything. Everything that's ever been conceived by human beings is there. Like it's the source of creativity. It's connection. Like it's 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 instant joy. Like if you can communicate with someone that you're like a loved one that you don't that you're not with right now or something, or this is part of the problem. I feel like there's so much bound to it. Like you can't do banking now without it. You can't even wake up without it. You can't even you can't even fucking meditate without it. Some people <laughs> like I've only recently stopped using those inside timers because I realised like I don't need that. Like I don't need that. Like I thought I needed it, you know, but I've stopped focusing on mantras now. For my meditation like I, again that's like it's just it's, it takes time like there's levels to this stuff you know with everything and it's, it's i find it fascinating the sort of work that you do i find i think people that like you are gen like genuinely creating a lot of positive change in the world and i think that people if people wake up and and like their lives have improved you know i i, I can't see a better use of, of somebody's time and i thank you for that mate because I can feel that, like I can feel, I speak to a few people in here and there's people that might be well into this stuff, you know, and then, but they, but their boyfriends or their girlfriends are just not, you know, they're completely incredulous. Like they don't, oh, just as soon as you start talking, like the, you know, the eyes start rolling, like, okay, not this again. But then eventually through the power of repetition and just annoying someone, like sometimes it, you know, they snap and they're like, wow, you know what? Like my, th- I think my anxiety is reduced, like a little bit, like just a little bit, and that was from just doing a breathing exercise, you know, like, um, and that's beautiful when that happens because, like, there is a lot of, I think, there's a lot of reclaiming that needs to take place with our own personhood. Do you know what I mean? Like, and uh, yeah. the stuff that yeah, we talk I- about on here is that's what it's centered around. Like, I'm trying to do that, like. Um, because it's benefited. Like, look at you. You sound so cool, so calm. Like, the shit that you're saying is just, it don't need to be probed. 
because what you're saying is so simple and the truth is always quite simple you know like yeah i mean yeah. phones man like uh, what's your personal relationship like with your phone because <laughs> i was just um, about to start talking about mine but i think it'll be more interesting if you talk about yours yeah um i actually switched to a flip phone well, about a year and a half ago now um wow it's a it's a cat s22 flip like phone made by caterpillar for construction crews um it is still a smartphone um, but it is insanely hard to use. So my personal backstory <laughs> is before I became a coach, I was spending between 10 and 14 hours a day on my phone. Um, and I, Whoa. I I stopped one day. Yeah, yeah. I stopped one day and was like, I am wasting half of my life on YouTube. Mm. I'm not like I'm learning things. Sure. But like if I'm here for 12 hours a day, I can't go put, you know, I can't go take the things I learned out into the world. Um, so yeah. I started doing a ton of research on, on phone design and how to get off my phone. And that's ultimately where my program comes from is from my own experience of how I did it. Um, one thing that I had to get rid of really fast was what I call the ooh shiny factor. Um, humans like shiny things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a little, a little, a little, a little four inch square in your pocket that you can pull out and every side of it is shiny. And one of them, yeah. you can see your reflection in it, man, that is just like, imagine 200 years ago, mm. people, you know, you pull something like that out of your pocket and people would go crazy. Like it's shiny. Yeah. It's cool. We, we don't see that. Um, <laughs> what is so it? I want one. <laughs> I had to get rid of the ooh shiny factor. That was one of my biggest things that pulled me back in day after day after day is I'd look at it and just be like, this is a cool piece of technology. Swipe yeah. up into a world that's completely different from my own. Um, so my relationship currently with my phone, um, other than calling people on it, you know, for work, I, I do all my work over the phone. So other than calling people, um, it's about 15 to 20 minutes a day, um, between texts and music. Um, nice. just in the menu, oh, yeah. scrolling for songs. Um, and other than that, I'm basically phone free. It's wonderful. Wow. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I know it sounds cheesy, but I'm a born bred hippie, man. Like <laughs> that's like Nirvana to me. Like that's like that's it man like that's exactly like i don't want to be i hate my phone like sometimes i blame it like i just wish i feel guilty like when i'm on it like sometimes like like so some of the habits i have like i have two young children so i i when i when they were really young i would refuse to use the phone around them like i would sometimes pretend to go to the toilet just to reply to an email or reply to a text or whatever whatever that's when that was like several years ago. Now, the need to always respond to every single thing on the phone. And like I was saying before, there's so much going on there. It's like an amusement park of like shit that just, just always seems to be unresolved. And you've got to constantly keep giving it attention, man. Like it's worse now. But I would try to instill that habit because I was just, I was very, very conscious that I know kids copy and they emulate and. I was always quite anti, I was a bit of a Luddite, to be honest with you, like I sort of saw where I could kind of see where the world was sort of heading and like it was never for me, but what a bloody hypocrite I am because, you know, now I'm constantly checking it for emails and 
I can't seem to get off it. And like I said, like there's so many facets of our lives now, which you need the phone. Like you can't even go into some stores. I don't know what it's like for you over there in America, Carl, but over here, you know, you might have to flash your loyalty card or you might have to pull your phone out just to pay for stuff now. Um, and then you do that and then you see a notification and it's even though the, no- the, the notification, you might have the strength to not open that, but it's somehow transferred onto your brain like and it's on the background desktop of your brain you know like you and you know it's there and it and curiosity gets the better of us and i don't think there's a person alive that like went on something and scrolled once and turned the phone <laughs> off like I, I, I would love to know if that like I, I just don't feel like we don't have the capacity to we just don't have that control like in that sense we're we, we're not weak but like you were saying before in this learning thing and schooling and stuff, like I sometimes joke around with my friends and talk about this and be like, do you think we're going to look back on this as like really irresponsible? The fact that we were letting children, I mean, if, you know, secondary school age, middle school, high school, like that sort of age, is it, was it, was it, was that right? Like, should we have given do you know what I mean? Like, or, or at least without the training, like without the actual lowdown, like cyberbullying is a classic, right? So my kids now, um, eight and 10 and, uh, cyberbullying, you know, and I say to them, I said, kids, now what happens if you get cyberbullied? They're like, uh, I don't know. Tell the teacher. I'm like, no, no, no. What do you do? Like, what do you do? So, um, I find the person and confront them. I was like, no, what do you do? And then I finally keep having this conversation with them until they get to the right answer, which is, they're just words on the screen. If someone can't even have the front or the guts to say it to your face, how can you do anything but laugh about that? Like, now that's not to be insensitive. I know people, obviously, I'm thinking about my own kids. And when I'm thinking about my own kids, I'm not just thinking about their well-being and their mental well-being, but I'm thinking about the future generation. That These kids need to sort of not only toughen up a little bit, but they also need to understand that it is just words on a phone. I mean, if conflicts and things have come down to like texting and cyberbullying that, like, do you think that's a good attitude to teach children? Like, would you teach that if you had kids? Would you teach them things like that? That's a very interesting question. I, I don't have any kids. Um, and so this topic has, I've thought about this though, of how would I teach my kids to use technology? Um, and mm. obviously I'd, I'd want them to model it after you know, I'd want to be a good role model for them. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think in 20 years, our kids will have it figured out on how to teach their kids how to use technology properly. Um, the, the generation that I'm watching grow up that are five, six, seven, eight years old right now, um, I've got some nieces and nephews that, they absolutely love technology. And I mean, probably like you and me when we were growing up and Nintendo, uh, you know, mm. go to your friend's house after school and we wanted the screen. Um, but now the screen is in your pocket and a lot of parents don't have a time limit on the screen or a content limit. Um, mm. And that one is, you know, kind of worrying to me that a kid at 10 years old has access to anything he or she wants um they can look at yeah you know good things they can look at bad things but where their brain is so far undeveloped Mm. that's the part that just terrifies me of i'm just gonna 
give this little black shiny box that I know has been designed to make people want to use it. Yeah. yeah. I have a hard time giving that to a kid whose brain really isn't developed enough to understand the tool or know how to use the tool for what it was intended to do. Yeah, because we don't we don't let children use kettles to make hot drinks. We don't let them use power power drills like SDS power drills, like hammer drills. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't let, we don't do let them do stuff like that because one they not they're not given the proper training to do it, but it, it's not suitable like for them to be using stuff like that. Man, some of those some of those YouTube videos like uh, I get I get I'm getting flashbacks now and it's. They, these kids were they, the kids are just glued to the phone like they like what you said there about content creators and, and and these tech companies that are figuring out ways to sort of gently massage us into keep coming back like we keep coming back you know like I think some technology critiques have likened the scrolling of the finger as uh, to to the sort of where you pull down a, a handle in Las Vegas and you keep pulling <laughs> down the thing until you keep you keep getting the result that you want. And, you know, the scary thing is that sometimes we're not even consciously aware of the thing that we want. That's why I call it doom scrolling because we're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. What the implications of that is, like what that's doing to our subconscious mind, let alone the subconscious mind of a young child or a young person is terrifying. And it's interesting what you said there, mate, about which generation is going to, take one for the team, so to speak, for the human race, because, you know, I think people in our generation sort of just sort of still can't compare you. Obviously you have somewhat of a bloody profit, mate, coming like the way you're handling technology, but like for the, for the average Joe, like they, they sort of slipped under the radar. Like when I was in what you call high school, you'd have to be pretty well off to, to have a phone. Facebook had just started it was like the new cool thing. It was like when TikTok came out, it wasn't as big as it was now. Like now it's sort of like, unless, you, unless some of them, I think some people have the feeling like, unless you're online and have an online presence, you're nothing. Like these kids in school, you know, like some of them will be like, oh, you're nothing. Like, oh, you're not real. That's another one. Like, what do you mean you don't have an Instagram account? What do you mean you don't have any online presence? Well, you can't be real. Do you know what I mean? That and is that's one scary, of the things but... that, that terrifies me because my intention is when I do have kids that they're not going to have a phone until they're old enough until basically I need to go pick them up from school for some odd reason. And they need to call me and say, Hey, come get me. Uh, When I was a kid, I mean, I borrowed my friend's phone. I went inside of the school and used their phone for, you know, after school stuff. Hey mom, can you come give me a ride home? Um, Mm. you know, that was, that was a very common thing for me growing up. Um, but I know that that is the the way that kids think now is if you're not online, if you don't have an Instagram, if you don't have a TikTok, if you don't have hundreds of followers, you don't exist. And yeah. so that's one of the things that's hard for me yeah. um, to to really wrap my brain around. Well, I want my kids to feel like they belong somewhere. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to give them. I don't want to give them the box that the all magical information, all knowing box of everything. Everything, um, man. The horrors. So the, the one of the things that I'm definitely kind of leaning towards for giving my own kids 
you know, whenever that happens, um, technology is when they can decipher, when they can decide, am I using the technology or is the technology using me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, that will be the deciding yeah. factor of when I give a kid a phone is, okay, is mm. this technology using you or are you using it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it, Carl. Like some of the whistleblowers from um, Silicon Valley, these tech giants, they're realizing the dangers of the shit that we're discussing right now. And even those tech giants, there's whistleblowers coming out of these tech companies saying, right, stop the presses. This is too much now. I'm talking about people that worked at Google, Facebook, Instagram. Like they've, they're coming out and saying, we don't even let our kids on this thing. Like, we charge our phones out like downstairs just because the temptation is just too much. Like it's like, it's too much. Do you know what I mean? I but, think, yeah. I've read articles and books and studies and so many people that work at Facebook, Google, Instagram that, that don't let their kids onto it because yeah. they know what it's like because they built it. And that kind of makes me sick a little bit that like, oh, you're willing to build that, but mm. you're not willing to, build it in a way that doesn't addict kids yeah i think i think i think that's speaking of something deeper uh, i think that's yeah, speaking it is, to a, 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 yeah i think that thing is speaking deeper on some of the human psyche like you know at what point do you say a hypocrite is a hypocrite and it's a painful conversation to have because i think the truth is probably somewhere along the lines of it's impossible not to be one because of the imbalance in the world. But yeah, like, you know, with the children thing, like when you do have your children, if you have children, like you will face that battle. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Like I, I, my, they, they promised me they don't want one till 16. I've basically been podcasting to my children without a podcast for years now. So, <laughs> they want to talk to me, so I started this, but they're like, you know, so, you know, like basically it says you become an elite human son. You will be an elite human you will be the only person without a phone at 16 years old and you know other people who i considered wise and their opinions very worthy said that 16 is the age they should be getting a phone like that's you know 15 16 that's all right give them one like even if the worst thing was to happen and you know they in their first week they went through you know horrific porn sites and you know um cyber bullied and they became really, really superficial and taking a hundred selfies or whatever. Like if the worst stuff happened in the first week, like at least at that age, like they're somewhat like they have a sort of definite immunity to it. But you know, I'm at that point now where they're nowhere near 16, but you know, it's like, he's walking home like 15, 20 minutes alone and people, Oh no, you're irresponsible. You should give him a phone. Like what if something happens to him? And I'm, I haven't broken yet because he hasn't cracked yet. He hasn't cracked. Like the, all you can do is is educate them on the nature of the beast. I think fighting the beast is is just too difficult. I mean, I know you've achieved it with some of your clients, but yeah, I think that's the road I sort of went down. Like I was trying to educate them on on what what it's like, and you know, I say, you know, I say it's inevitable. You know, you're probably going to go through it. It's inevitable, but it's how you handle it. I don't want them staring at screens, like you know, they go to bed at. 10 30 and 12 30 and they're still scrolling you know i feel like i would have failed as a parent if 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 they do that 
So I guess there's a little bit of a life coach in all of us, Kyle. <laughs> We're not all there as is. good at it. There but... is. Uh, you telling your son that he's going to be elite because he doesn't have a phone. That's one of the coolest things I've ever heard anybody tell their kids. Because um, it's such a oh, positive thing. It really is a good thing that, hey, you're going to be different, and that's incredible. Um, <laughs> it really is. Like, you're going to be the one that, I don't know, teaches people how to get off their phones one day because you weren't addicted to it at 10 years old. Yeah. That is that is such a big upside in his life that he gets to not have a phone. Oh, thank you, mate. Parenting's weird. You just... 90% of it is just showing up. But you can do it. You, you can do it for years and kind of still think, oh, God, am I doing the right thing? Like, is it the right thing? But, um, mate, we've already done an hour. I barely scratched the surface of stuff I wanted to talk to you about. There is one thing, though, that is sort of lingering in my mind as we're speaking about this, Carl, is just general happiness, content in oneself. Like, I feel like I'm getting that from you, mate. I feel like you've, you're someone that's at quite at peace and you found what it is that you want to do and I can feel like there's a lot of compassion within you, mate, and compassion going towards others. So can you speak on that a little bit? Because I feel like having a better relationship with your phone is obviously a great place to start, but just in life generally, I know it's ridiculously philosophical and broad, but can you speak on that a little bit? Well, that's a, that's a tough one. So where to start? Let's see. Give me a second. I Take think... your time, mate. Probably the uh, one of the one of the biggest things that that I do that keeps me happy is only doing the things that I want to do, that I'm good at, and that I love doing. And that sounds very very selfish, I know. Um, but for instance. Um, my whole morning routine um, is one thing that, that keeps me in a great place mentally. Um, I wake up at 5.30, I do yoga, I eat breakfast, you know, fruit, and just a really healthy, solid breakfast. Um, and mm. starting my day off with that one kind of like morning routine, that the first hour, hour and a half, it's just me. My phone's not involved. It's quiet. I've got time to meditate. I've got time to just think about things and think through things. Mm. That's that's one big thing um, that keeps me happy. Um, one thing that keeps me kind of grounded where I am are my boundaries with my phone, my laptop, and all my other devices um, that my laptop is for work. Um and that's it. It's a thing that I check my email 8 a.m., noon, 4 p.m. every day. Um, wow. But outside of those times, that's the only time you'll get a response from me. I check my phone also 8 a.m., noon, and 4 p.m., and 8 p.m. Um, and if there's a conversation happening, obviously, I'll, I'll be in on that conversation. But those are kind of my boundaries of this is my time that I'm going to give to you. You're more than welcome to have me at 8 a.m., noon, 4 p.m., or 8 p.m. if you have my phone number. Mm. Um, and that keeps all my time, my scheduling, everything that, that keeps me happy 
as a profession, um, both coaching people and uh, being lucky enough to drive snowcats back in the mountains. Um, I was on a mountain an hour and a half ago at 10,000 feet. Whoa. Um, and Whoa. So, like, that kind of thing, being outside, it just it makes me happy. Um, there's a lot That's of so cool. little tiny things I've picked up along the way that I recommend to a lot of my clients, and they're very simple things. Yeah. But one of the one of the other biggest things that I try to do every day is go for that five minute walk, and just be mindful about what I'm seeing, what I'm doing. Being outside doesn't matter if it's negative twenty or a hundred degrees. But being outside mm-hmm. in the elements, um, there is have been studies that have been done that have shown that just going outside can yeah. bring a positive attitude towards your whole day. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what else? Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of things that taking mindfulness into places they normally aren't, um, mindful eating, for instance, paying attention, you know, okay, I ate an orange. How does that make me feel? You know, for me Mm. personally, if I go and eat that piece of really, really sugary fruit about 30 minutes later, I'm going to get a sugar high from that. Mm. And then I'm going to have a dip. It's a slow dip, but. I know that if I eat an orange, that's exactly how my body is going to feel. Um, if I eat a cookie, I know about the same time I'm going to have a sugar high. It's not going to last nearly as long, and it's going to drop off so much faster. Um, yeah. So knowing foods to eat, what makes me happy, what makes my stomach happy, what makes my body happy, and then combining that with exercise, what makes my mind happy, when I'm exercising, what makes my body happy when I'm exercising, what feels good. Some days Mm. it's just yoga, just yoga feels good. Some days yoga doesn't feel good and a quick jog feels good. You know, some days, um, 10 pushups feels great and nothing Mm. else feels good. Other days, a 20 mile hike through the woods feels wonderful. Um, but listening to my body and knowing, understanding that it knows exactly what it needs to be happy. And then just listening to that and saying, okay, if you want to go for a hike, we're going to go for a hike. Yeah, listening to your body. Um, that's essential. You sound very disciplined, like like a Shaolin monk. Like you, <laughs> I'm curious about your relationship with discipline, like because, you know, all too often that word usually associate with uh, control or restriction or some someone angry telling us to do something different but like the way you see it like it's kind of like that elite human thing like you it's almost like like we need to be training ourselves do you know what i mean like we're we're grown-ups are just like kids with cash just yeah. because we're older or whatever like we just we still need to like we want to, <laughs> i shouldn't say this but we, we kind of do want to be dominated like we need a like a regime like a program and stuff and i love the way you talk i love the way you talk about it because every time you speak about it especially with the discipline thing i just feel like i can see how difficult that is because we are addicted to our phones and sugar and salt and dopamine i mean we're abusing dopamine so much that it's almost losing losing all meaning it's as if like gold started pouring from the skies in, in, in place of rain like instantaneously gold would be worthless right because it's everywhere it's in abundance and dopamine's like that, like we're getting hits too quickly. Again, like with the doom scrolling, you know, there's some sort of hit there because we know we're going to come across something, that video that's just a bit different, but somehow relates to the last thing that 
did it for us, you know, or like we go on Instagram, we see something or, you know, pornography, if you're a man wandering around the internet, like, you know, or I don't know, um, man, Netflix, you can just go on and binge. Like the fact that things just autoplay is disturbing to me. Like, why does it keep playing? Like, <laughs> why isn't, why doesn't it assume that their eyes might need a break, you know, like things like that. And that's another, that's another hit. And then the sugar's everywhere. And then if you, you know, maybe you can't get to the sugar because you live somewhere. Don't worry. You can just press a button on your phone and it will be outside in a car with a driver in five minutes. Yep. yep. We definitely got to wean ourselves off that. But I love the way you speak about discipline, mate. And I'm uh, very, very grateful for you sharing stuff on this podcast because I think people will hear it. And I think people will, will be inspired. But yeah, I like it. Like I really, I want to have a better relationship with the discipline, get through the hard bit and then, start to see the results, you know, because it only takes that one glimpse in the mirror when you're working out and you see that, you know, you see your body just a little bit differently, man, that's going to keep you going for a year. So I love it, man. I really love it. And it's honest. Like everything you say is honest and very clear and practical as well, mate. So thank you for yeah. that. Um, something just kind of about discipline that I, I might add is, sure. although it may seem very disciplined, um, I, I kind of... I, I took a step back and said, if I could design my perfect life, what would that be? And I said, wait a second, why am I taking a step back? Why don't I just step into it? Step into my perfect life for a day. I took the day off work and I literally just said, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I'm going to listen to my body and I'm just going to be intentional about it. And then I'm going to try to make those habits one by one over the next however long it takes. And so for me to wake up at 5.30 and do all my, my stuff, um, it is what I like to call a habit loop. Um, and so it's, it's not so much discipline. It's, it's the reward for doing the action. So the way I like to phrase it um, is think of, you know, you're a bunny chasing the carrot, right? Your carrot is your reward. But what happens if the chase of that carrot becomes the reward? So let's say you're the bunny chasing the carrot, and in reward for that chasing the carrot, you get to chase the carrot again tomorrow. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. what, I've, what I've done is made the habit the reward. So every time I get up and get to do yoga, I'm like, oh, man. I get to get up and do yoga. That's so rewarding. Um, and everything <laughs> about my whole schedule that I was talking about earlier is that way. Um, like I, I've made the things that I like to do a staple part of my everyday thing. So it doesn't feel like discipline. It doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like mm. willpower. Um, willpower is one of those things that I really dislike. Um, when people say, I'll just, just, you know, willpower your way through it. Mm. Um, because if you have to willpower your way through it, there's a reason your body doesn't want to do it. Your mind doesn't want to do it. And that reason could be completely wrong, but you're just, you're fighting with yourself. Mm. Um, and when you, when you let that fight just not even start to happen and you say, Oh, I'm doing this because I like to do it. And man, mm. that makes me feel good. Can we do it again tomorrow? Yeah. Um, that's that's my whole that's my whole thing about about I guess discipline is um, it's it's, it's not really not. discipline. <laughs> it's, yeah. 
it's figuring out what you love to do and doing it every single day. Yeah. And that'll ground you, man. Like that, that'll ground you. Like it's a nice anchor. It is. And it's a lovely piece of stability and security as well. Like, and yeah, it's a good way to describe discipline is that what you're doing isn't discipline. Like you've, that is, you know, when you're talking like that, it sounds like magic with a K. <laughs> like the way people uh, not manifest things, but they they literally transform something in their life, like to remove the resistance. Like you know, there's a there's a there's a reason your body's putting up such a fight. Like oh, pulling yourself to the gym or forcing yourself through a relationship or something. Why well, don't I don't know what's going on with humans there? Like I don't know what's going on with us that we're a funny bunch of idiots. We it's, really are. You look at it and you're like, how do we make it so far? Um, but, just, but how? Like, yeah. How did we do this? How, how the did fuck we build did a we... road? Like, I know. It's a little bit mind blowing that we got we've gotten as far as we have. Kind of terrifying too. Sometimes, like, wow, we did that. What else can we do? Oh no. <laughs> do you believe in God? I do. Yeah. How do you think, uh, like, a transcendent mystical being, like, relates to all this in terms of... Well, God means a, diff- a million different things to a million different people, but... Yeah. Yeah, I'm Christian. Um, I believe God is my father. I'm his son, and he's got a lot in store for me in the life after this one. Um, so prayer and scripture study is a big part of my life that I didn't touch on. Just not sure how your audience... Um, would react to that we love it but that is, you can talk that about is also it. a big part of my daily routine um, along with the yoga and the, the good breakfast usually over breakfast is is a good 15 20 minute scripture study um, and usually during meditation is a good time when i look inwards and you know see the person that i am today um, what i'm doing right what i'm doing wrong acknowledging that and then taking it to the man upstairs and saying, hey, God, can you help me with this today? Um, mm. I'm not perfect, and I can't be, but I believe that through him, one day, I can do a lot better. Yeah, self-inquiry. He gave you a brain, and he gave you, like, thought processes, you know? Like, he blessed us with that. Yep. He, he saw something in us. Like, he's given a little bit of his divine spark to us in order for us to find ourselves also, you know, and, f- you know, through finding ourselves, we find, we found him, I think. Yeah. Um, One thing that I think has been the biggest thing to me is just um, feeling the spirit, the Holy spirit in my life and it testifying to me of my potential. Yeah. Um, and if, if, if you're ever in that place, I think this would be a message to your listeners where you're unsure of yourself. Ask God about your potential and just listen. Uh, he'll answer. And everybody that I've, that has come back to me after I've told them to, to go ask God about the thing that you can be, the human that you can become has come back and said, wow, I never knew I could be so much. Yeah, um, it's a very humbling experience to to feel that. Wow, I get to help people. 
I get to help people that are maybe not doing so hot in life right now. Mm. And I get to, I get to go do cool things that a lot of the people in this world will never get to experience. Yeah. Gratitude. Um, and it's, it's incredible to just have that relationship with my heavenly father and, and him say, yeah, dude, your potential is incredible. You're only doing a fraction of what you can do right now. Keep up the good work. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. And like, it's so beautiful as well. Like, like when you do, when you do realize like, oh, like compassion's where it's at. Like helping others is where it's at. Like, why does this fit so well? You know, like it's good to have your coping strategies, you know, like, uh, the gratitude is a great one. Like acceptance is another one. I have a little acronym. I call it GAS, which is G-A-S-S, which in England is a slang word for excitement, actually, which okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that over there. But um, uh, no. yeah, so if somebody in England, especially youngsters, will say, oh, I'm so gassed, it means that they're just really excited. Okay, um, I like it. But I have it as an acronym, G-A-S-S, when I'm in stressful situations like situations where I, at that moment in time i'm not i don't have what's necessary to um keep me going and re, like reunite myself with myself so to speak but if i remember this thing gas which stands for gratitude acceptance service and surrender oh that's perfect um yeah i'm gonna say so, that oh it's yours bro like i'm only here for a period of time on this world like this is why i'm doing this podcast who knows how far this will go out into the universe i don't know for this human experience man you have to be grateful first of all like gratitude will just ground you because if you look around like what you've actually got like because you've got your legs they're working you're breathing you woke up this morning you can see you've contemplated beauty even if you die tomorrow at least you've seen it already you don't know if anyone's experienced that level of beauty and happiness before. So be grateful, like always have gratitude. Acceptance is like accepting that you're only here for a short period of time and actually you can't control everything and you're not going to be able to control everything. You've got even limited, you've got like limited control over your own self. Like we're completely interwoven, all of us. So you should accept more. I feel like, like you should, if bad things happen, um, yeah and the other two service and surrender is obvious you know it's you're a Christian you know this like it's you you commit to a servitude and you do surrender you do you should surrender to everything especially the almighty but with the servitude that's the thing that remi the service reminds me of what you're saying about helping others and stuff and be like wow I get to do this I get to help people do you think that's speaking on something deeper of the nature of the heavenly father because surely a bit of that must be in us. And if that's where it's at for us, like that's where we get that connection, that feeling, is that speaking on, do you think that's speaking on behalf of him? Like, yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I think of him very literally as my spiritual father. Um, that just as much as my earthly father wants to see me do good and succeed, be happy and find joy in this life. He wants the same for me. Um, and if he wants that for me, and I believe that everybody on this earth is my brothers and sisters, 
I, I feel like I should want that for them too. You know, yeah. if, I, if, if I look at my clients through a more spiritual lens, it's just my brother or my sister that I get to help overcome this little challenge they have and hopefully get them a little bit closer to being the best that they can be. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly humbling and incredibly awe-inspiring to me to, to be able to be in that situation. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. That's amazing. I've had a lot of, a lot of tear field sessions. Um, one of the, one of the most tear field sessions I usually have, um, is we do an exercise, not with everybody, um, but with people who are, who are unsure about themselves. Um, and it is an identity shifting exercise and the identity shift is from, I am not enough to, I'm perfectly enough for me. Um, and the way that we get that identity shift to happen is called, um, there's an exercise called the mirror and you do, uh, you know, you relax the clients, make sure they're comfortable. Um, and you tell them to go stand in front of a mirror, get comfortable there. Mm. Um, I usually, you know, do a, uh, I'm looking at a person right now and this person has a lot of potential, um, you know, help, wow. help, help build some confidence. And then I tell them to open their eyes and look in the mirror and say, the person I'm seeing is you. And this is all very personal depending on what people are going through. Um, and then I say, and what I want you to do is just repeat three words after me. And those three words are, I love you. Look into mm. the mirror and say, I love you. Um, and it's a thing that a lot of people don't tell themselves ever in their lives. And it is almost always tear inducing. Um, like if you were to go stand in front of a mirror right now and just mm. say, I love you. Um, usually, you know, we're there for three or four or five. I've been there for 10 minutes with some people. Um, uh, the people are so keep people, saying this. Well, some people can't. They they can't Whoa. say the words "I love you" to themselves. <gasps> um, and that one's That's heartbreaking. So That's and when really they can sad. Finally, get it out. We repeat it for a good two three minutes and just say "I love you." I love the person you are. I love the person you can become. I love what we've experienced. Um, and that is one of my favorite things to do. It's not for every client. It's not a thing that I do with everyone. Um, but it is a very, very powerful identity shift of I suck. I'm not great. Nobody loves me. I'm not worth loving to I'm enough for me. I'm enough for the people who rely on me. I'm enough for whatever it can be. Um, so Tears are usually a good thing in my sessions. Uh, they're, they're very well encouraged um, because we are transforming the person you are into a different person. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes there's feelings in there that have been bottled up for years and years and years. Um, one of my clients, not no names or anything, um, they, from, from an early age, someone told them that they weren't good enough at one small thing. And that one small thing 
in their own minds, my client's mind turned into, I'm not good at anything. Oh my God. And over the course of 15 years, the I'm not good at anything took over. And that started from one tiny little thing that somebody, one of his friends, when he was young, said, you're not good, good at that. And that turned into, I'm not good at anything 15 years later. And Whoa. It's just been lingering. It's just been lingering. So going through that with him, saying, you're good at something. You can, you can love yourself for what you're good at. Um, that one, we, we, we took a while to get there. Um, he cried. I cried. Yeah. Um, I don't usually cry when this one happens, but this was so emotional for him. Is it fair to say, like, uh, like you say in there, like people that are doing work in the mirror or whatever, like they uh, doing this sort of self-acceptance thing and that it seems to be the most tear-inducing thing that you see, like, or have seen doing what you do because it's like a little bit too much to stand in the mirror and actually look at your own self and admit that you do love that person because there must be some sort of turmoil going on inside a person when they can't look at their own self and say that they love them because all they want to, everyone just wants to be loved. Like everyone wants to be loved, man. And yeah. if you can't love your own self, you're probably thinking weird thoughts like, well, if I can't love myself, then who the fuck's going to love me? Exactly. That's where a lot of people um, in reality actually are. Um, and it's, it's, it's really sad to, to see, um, yeah. but it's really incredible to watch them realize that uh, there, there's, a, there's a saying, that if you don't care about yourself, no one does. If you don't care for yeah. yourself, no one does. And so these people have, have not cared for themselves. They haven't cared about themselves. And so no one has. Um, yeah. And so this, I love you, in the mirror is it's them starting to care about themselves again. It's mm. them saying, wait a second. I can, I can take the time to, to love myself, to care about myself, to, to be the best version of myself that I can be. Um, and then the challenge with the, the mirror exercise is every day for the next, at least three weeks is what I try to get people to do is to wake up, and every time they see a mirror, doesn't matter if it's the screen on your phone, anytime they see a reflection, they have to say, I love you to that reflection. I mean, obviously, if you're in a Zoom meeting at work, <laughs> you don't have to. Um, <laughs> but uh, anytime, you know, you're in private and you can take a second to stop, look at the person in the mirror and say, wow, you're incredible. I love you. I'm going to do that, man. Are. I'm going to do it, man, because you should be hearing that from yourself. You I think should. that's a very positive thing to hear from yourself. There's a spiritual teacher and called uh, Spira, Rupert Spira. He's from England. And he said, the moment you place your happiness or project your happiness onto another thing or another person, you are preparing yourself for sadness and sorrow, which I like. I like it because I like having control, a big stake on whether or not I'm going to be happy or not. I should be in charge. Yeah. I should be in control of that. I should be in charge of that. It should come from me, because that is where true happiness resides, actually, and peace probably the brother of happiness. Do you know what I mean? Probably yeah. 
that's probably it like once you've lived you're born you live you die as long as you've realized that you know, you're probably winning you've probably done you know what i mean like that's gonna that's life-changing but it is sad like it's really sad that there are people wandering around can't do that like they can't openly say that they love themselves and that they really really mean it have you seen a film called the work there's a producer called gethin aldus i haven't yet it is on the the list i spend a lot of time outside hiking and in the backcountry, and so my movie consumption is quite low but it's on the list of uh movies to get to when i uh when i have a a minute inside dude bump it up to the top of the list it is made for you, seriously. Like, you will truly appreciate every nanosecond of this movie, bro. Like, honestly, it's fantastic. It's about it's about these guys who are in prison and these other outsiders come in because they're, they've got some weird neuroses or something, something's wrong with them. They've got these deep traumas. And they go into this prison because this prison's renowned for group therapy. So the whole film is structured around group therapy. And like I said, there's there's about four or five guys that go in and one by one, they get sucked into this group therapy program and they're around these sort of hardened, weathered, traumatized criminals who have been incarcerated for most of their life. And obviously there's a lot of pent up shit going on with prisoners also. So they have to find a way to get it all out and they have group therapy and it's, it's powerful group therapy, like really fucking powerful. And it's funny watching these volunteers enter this prison who agree to do this. And one by one, they all start doing what they call the work, which is why the film's called The Work. And they start unraveling like the tapestry of fucked up memories and trapped trauma and uh, like neuroses and issues that have been sat in like the most darkest dustiest part of your psyche for so long that you've forgotten it's even there but look what it's doing to you on a day-to-day basis and it's just such a good watch like you go through it goes through like sort of all of them they're all doing it together so you never know because they're all in a group you never know which of the volunteers is going to be the one that pipes up this time and gets triggered emotionally and then he starts letting it all out um there's a few different characters in there there's like some calm like fatherly type figures who you wouldn't bat an eyelid and think that there was something wrong with them. They've got shit going on. Then there's this guy that just can't stop being so macho, you know, like Andrew Tate type, uh, early days, Andrew Tate type sort of always trying to prove themselves type thing. And they, he's just trying to start fights with the prisoners in there. But then there's this one kid like right at the end and the way the film's made, like it convinces you that, this one guy probably isn't going to come out and say anything like he's sort of critical about the whole process. You know, he's saying, you know, Oh, I feel like these guys just are not going to accept me unless I cry about some weird shit, you know, like he's mocking it almost. Yeah. Yeah. But then he comes through, like he, even he has to let it out. Like he, he had something also. I'm sorry to keep rambling about this film. Is this, is it, is it all right, Carl? Do you mind? Uh, I have put it on the top of my list. (laughs) Yeah. I'm gonna watch it again after this podcast. Um, like, but this 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 kid, like this little quiet kid, he's really quiet and the one at the back of the class type. And he finally, he, I think the thing that was fucking him up, God, God bless his soul, was he had an issue with his dad and he felt like his dad never accepted him or never thought he was a man, basically, which is why he had like 
he was quite timid and he was quite quiet and he didn't have any sort of presence, you could say, even though he seemed like a nice kid. But you, you know, like when someone's just not carrying themselves, yeah, yeah, you know, like they're hanging, like a bit, like they're not, yep. you know. Um, but yeah, that these guys like persuaded him to be honest and be open about things, and he started, he started telling the story and stuff. And uh, this poor kid, man, like he, his dad thought he was useless because he wouldn't give him the right tool for the job. And uh, I think the dad said something along the lines of, you're just, you're, you're no good, you know, you're like your mom. Get out of here, like that. And this is when the kid was like eight or nine. And now he's like in his mid-twenties. And he finally comes out with it and he starts crying. And these group, these prisoners who are like leading the group therapy, like they sort of have these weird techniques on how to, they perform like this sort of psychological trauma exorcism in front of these people. And they, they all line up and they all put their arms out and one of them stands at the end of this row of people with their arms out and he, and, and they say to this kid who's traumatized from his dad, they say, look, if you can force your way through all these people that are holding their arms out, so it's really hard just like pushing through doors, if you can get to the end, at the end is going to be a dad that loves you and accepts you. And he does it and you will not believe what happens to this kid, man. He's pushing his way through the arms of the prisoners and the guys are all shouting at him stuff like, you're no good enough. You're no good. You're pathetic. You're weak. You will always be weak. I will never accept you. You are not good enough. And he's crying. The kid's pushing through the arms and he's crying and he's crying and he's crying and you feel so bad for him. And he finally gets through. And the man at the end of the line just says, son, you're enough. And then he just bursts into tears. Like the kid just bursts into tears. And then after that, he's happy and he's hugging everyone. He's like, yeah, thanks guys. Thank guys. I really needed that. Sorry for that long ramble, but basically. Oh, you're good. That like, sounds they, like a, a quality movie. Oh, bro, honestly, I'm, I'm going to watch it again. Like, like it doesn't have to explain it. It just, it shows it. Yeah, man, we spoke about so much, honestly. I'm so grateful, Kyle. Thank you so much, mate. You're welcome. Um, if I can leave your, your guests with one, one thing that I live by that maybe they could adopt, um, is that okay? Please do, mate. Okay. Um, we've all heard of, we've all heard of the golden rule, right? You should treat others how you want to be treated. There's another rule and I don't know what it's called, but it goes, treat yourself how you want to be treated. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Treat yourself how you want to be treated. That's beautiful, man. That's, Carl, thank you yep. so much. You're very um, welcome. Is there also, I always do this for everyone, is there any um, places where people can find you online if they wanted to find you? Um, to guide them? Yeah, probably my website. Um, it's level10lifecoach.com. Awesome. Level10lifecoach.com. Fantastic. Yep. Other than that, I don't really have a, a social media presence because, you know, I'm kind of the guy that gets you off social media. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like I, it. I am thinking of starting a, a bit of a podcast um, to uh, to reach people. Um, so this Do has it, been man. a big step for me in actually sitting down and convincing myself that, yeah, I could probably do this. Oh man, I could talk to you all day. It feels like you've been doing this for a lot for a while. Oh well, I <laughs> I definitely and, you, and I like it. 
I definitely haven't, so. Yeah, no, it's good, man. You drop nice sort of knowledge bombs all the time. And it's what people want to hear, man. And you're real. So, yeah. Carl, thank you so much, man. We'll have you back, hopefully, if you want it. If you want to do that, Absolutely. we'll have you back one day. Absolutely. Cool, man. Carl, thank you once more, mate. Take care. Thanks.